0: It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together, we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. My guest today is Ria Wong. Ria is an experienced executive director with a demonstrated history of working in the education management industry and is the host of the Nonprofit Lowdown Podcast. And today we talk about all kinds of critical topics facing the nonprofit sector today with a special focus on how millennials are impacting the way we lead our organizations. Enjoy today's show. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Ria. I wanted to start today by asking about the gig economy. Uh, specifically, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on what this emerging and fast-growing segment of our economy is doing to impact nonprofits specifically. I mean, in your opinion, is this a good thing for nonprofit organizations, or does this negatively impact the long-term sustainability of nonprofits? What are your thoughts on this new gig economy?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked, Rob. So. Uh, Just to give a little bit of background on myself, I am a longtime executive director of of, over a decade and have recently myself uh, gotten into the gig economy. And it's sort of funny, I I have a running joke with a lot of my colleagues who are also recovering executive directors because they've entered the consulting space. So I think there, there are pros and there are cons, like any situation. But I think the pro is that the gig economy and consulting actually allows nonprofits to access... Mm-hmm. much more uh, experienced experts in the field than they would not normally actually be able to afford because they can hire them on a part-time basis. So just as an example, I'm working with a couple of clients right now, and they hired me and another experienced executive director who are both of us are consultants. Certainly, given the budget that they have, would not otherwise be able to afford us. On the flip side, though, I do think that you give up a little bit in terms of culture building so because we are consultants and because we are contractors in the gig economy, we are not necessarily in the day-to-day trenches and so I think um I think nonprofits have to think about which uh which talents and expertise they can buy and which they need to build in-house.
0: We've talked before about this, where uh, nonprofits in general really have to watch their budget. You know, we're not selling widgets, so to speak. And so uh, we're stewarding people's money that have donated to the organization. You have to be really careful with that. And typically, you just don't have as much maybe to go around as maybe for-profit organizations have. So as we look at this next generation to the millennial generation, um, there certainly seems to be a trend that part of the reason for the increase in people seeking contracted or part-time employment is because as a whole, as studies have shown, it seems that millennials are seeking to find a stronger work-life balance. Um, In fact, studies have shown that more millennials have a work-to-live mentality rather than live to work. Um, So for you, again, in your perspective and what you've experienced with your uh, leadership uh, with nonprofit organizations, in what ways are millennials impacting the nonprofit sector from your vantage point?
1: Well, uh, certainly happy to speak to that. But actually, I'd love to go back to an earlier point, Rob. uh, You talked about budget constraints, and I think, obviously, that's an important one working in the nonprofit industry. But I would also say that um, one mistake that I've seen a lot of executive directors um, make is that they mistake expenses with investment. And so uh, a lot of times there's an inclination to go for the cheapest option. And I think sometimes executive directors need to take a step back and really think about um, not just the price, but also all of the other soft costs. So sure, you might be working with one consultant who might be cheaper, but are they bringing less expertise to the table or less experience, which would actually be, uh, would actually cost them in terms of time and energy that they would need to manage that process? So I, I think EDs also have to be conscious of other costs uh, aside from just the hard costs of cash, um, and also to think of expenses as investments, because not all expenses are straight expenses. Sometimes they're investment in accelerating your nonprofit forward. Um, so, to the question of millennials i you know I spend a lot of time thinking about millennials, and I'm really trying not to millennial bash and I, what I would say is that um millennials now have it very tough i mean they're coming up in a time where they're actually projected to make less than their parents made, so in the world and in the u s economy, traditionally we've seen successive generations become more prosperous, and that's not true of this generation. They're coming out of school with tremendous debt. Um, The chances of them being able to afford a house is is certainly not what it was for previous generations, so it's really, really tough. Um, But on the flip side, too, I also don't think that millennials are asking for anything that we didn't want coming up on our end. Um, I just think that they happen to be a bit more vocal about it. And so when I think about what really fuels millennials and what keeps them in the seat is they want good leadership, they want transparency, they want communication, they want to understand where their careers are going, they want to understand how they can make a difference. And by the way, I would also say that millennials are probably the most values driven generation that this world has seen yet. And so I actually think that Certainly, compensation is one thing that they're looking for, but I also think that they really are looking to make a difference. And so, uh as leaders, it certainly creates challenges. It certainly makes us uh be on our toes a bit more because, you know, when I was coming up, and I, I don't know, when you were coming up, Rob, um, we were at the bottom of the totem pole. We expected to kind of be treated not very well. We expected to be doing the grunt work, and we expected to pay our dues. And this generation isn't as willing to do that. So I think that's certainly a challenge. But as a leader, I think it forces you to actually be a better leader
0: there does seem to be a trend in the millennial generation of not just wanting to have a job to make money, but really to make a difference with their life. And so a higher percentage of them are going into nonprofit work for that very reason. So I think we as leaders, I've had other guests on my show to talk about this. This is something we need to really understand better what this millennial generation is all about, what makes them tick and how to not only attract them and recruit them, but to keep them around and make sure that you can retain them in your organization for a long time. Now that leads us to another topic that's controversial for some, um, and it has to do with the average pay that nonprofits give to their employees. Uh, now, typically, this is not not a course across the board, but typically, um, in general, I should say, the average nonprofit will pay less for their employees' sal- uh, salaries than for for-profit organizations. Uh, that has been the case for quite some time now. So what? is changing, it seems, is that millennials, again, speaking of them, are not necessarily as willing to take that paycheck in order to work for a nonprofit, even though they want to invest their life into something more meaningful, as I mentioned before, than just making money. However, they want to you know get paid well because they provide a great service. And I don't think they're as willing to kind of sacrifice completely uh, their paycheck just for the job. So what's the solution in your mind for nonprofit organizations when it comes to hiring the best staff they can afford, on the one hand, but also being competitive with salary and benefits? How would you dive into that kind of dicey conversation?
1: Yeah, you know, Rob, that's such an interesting question. And I would say that I think we really need to think about a shift in the entire sector because, I mean, I don't know when we first accepted this idea that to do mission-driven work means personal sacrifice and means not being able to make a living wage. Um, I think so much of that is predicated on the philanthropic funding model and the fact that we do live on donations and that often we are um beholden to you know, various percentages, like what is the overhead cost? Um, I think that until the sector really shifts – we are going to continue to see folks leaving the sector because, you know, quite honestly, like I understand if you are working your tail off and you're not able to make your rent or you're not able to pay your, uh, your student loans, like that's an incredibly disempowering place to be in. And, and I actually think it's an equity issue, particularly if we're hiring millennials that are young folks of color, because, how can we as a sector on the one hand say that we're fighting for equity and justice for our clients and on the other hand, significantly underpaying our staff? Um, I don't know that that addresses the question in the short term, but I think it's a longer term question that folks who are in the philanthropic community and in the government really have to grapple with, which is if we say that the work of A nonprofit is a value and it's doing good and um, meeting the needs of folks who would not otherwise have their needs met, then I think we have to be willing to pay for that. Um, And I think the nonprofit sector has been starved for a really long time. And unfortunately, we've made it work on the back of people like you and me, Rob, who didn't necessarily think that we could ask for more. Um, And at the same time, there's a reason we're seeing such a, a brain drain of really talented, experienced leaders in the field. I mean, myself as an example, like I i am I'm approached on a pretty regular basis to run nonprofits again, to be an executive director again. And while on the one hand, I love the work and I feel emotionally and personally committed to making the world a better place, I also – it's it's a, hard, it's a hard ask for me to go back to working 70 to 80 hours a week doing what I did for the salary that I did, being responsible for all the things that I do. Um, so I don't know that there's an answer other than the fact that I think we really, on a larger policy level, have to really question whether or not the nonprofit sector is a sustainable one and how important is the work that we're really doing. And if if it is important, are we willing to pay for it?
0: Well, I, thanks for sharing your personal story there. And I think that is something we do have to look at nonprofit sector-wide um, as how we're going to do this in the future. I think you're right. I think it's the gone are the days where we can just assume people will you know, put those kind of hours in, as you mentioned, um, but not really be compensated for it. So really good point. And I, I, I've had multiple conversations with people on the show before, and I want to continue that conversation. So thanks for your take on that. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right you. To your inbox and that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show the other thing I will mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show do not hesitate to email me I'd love to hear from you just do that through our website my email rob at ccofpc.org. well thanks again for listening now back to the show We are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They are experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site, to the tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that the support and expertise I've received from them is top notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. And here's the best part. You can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash leadership, and just use the promo code LEADERSHIP during checkout. Once again, that is cinchws.com/slash leadership. And use the promo code LEADERSHIP for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team that we can trust. My guest today is Rhea Wong. Rhea is an experienced executive director with a demonstrated history of working in the education management industry and is the host of the Nonprofit Lowdown podcast. And moving on to some other things that's related, though, to the same issue. One of my previous guests on the show is Beth Cantor. And I think you've heard of Beth, and she's an author of many books. Yeah, Beth is fantastic, and it was so fun to have her on the show. And um, one of the books that she's written is called The Happy, Healthy Nonprofit. And in this book, she talks all about how a nonprofit can maintain a solid social impact, but at the same time, not, you know, cause burnout to their staff. Now, that's a tough balance. And I think all of us in the nonprofit sector, I mean, that's something we struggle with Weekly, if not daily, if not hourly. You know, it's just there's so much on our plate. And you mentioned it in your own personal life. Um, there's so much to do, so much required of people in the nonprofit world. Um, how have you found that happy and healthy balance, so to speak, using Beth's words, with your career and the nonprofit space? How have you managed that over the last several years?
1: Well, Rob, I don't know that I really have managed it since I've now left the sector. Not entirely. I mean, I do consult with nonprofits. But um, a couple things come to mind. The first is that I think we, um, in the nonprofit world, do get into the starvation cycle of kind of living hand-to-mouth and raising money, you know, payroll to payroll. And I think uh if we're really going to build sustainable nonprofits, we have to learn how to raise resources necessary to sustain it over time. Um, that means building really solid philanthropic partnerships that means building boards that understand that resource development is a huge part of their responsibility. I think the other part is providing sufficient professional development and actually hiring people who who are experienced enough to do it. So I'll just give you a little bit of context. I was a 26-year-old executive director. I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I talk about this all the time. You know, they gave me the keys and my email addressed and said, good luck. Um, And I remember Googling, like, how to be an executive director, how to fundraise. Uh, And look, I'm grateful for the shot, and I'm grateful for every moment of my career. I I would not change a thing. But frankly, no 26-year-old has any business running a a nonprofit. And so I feel like had I had the benefit of a couple years of experience, which probably would have meant that I was not affordable or had an opportunity to be mentored by someone who was more experienced, I probably could have saved myself a lot of time and energy figuring everything out from the beginning. I mean, I was recreating the wheel when I really didn't need to be. and I think the nonprofit sector suffers a lot from hiring very smart, very passionate young people who figure things out and, and burn themselves up and you know work long hours because they figure I'm smart, I'm hard working, I can figure it out. And that's probably true by and large. And I also think the benefit of experience is that you don't have to constantly recreate the wheel um there's a writer named chip conley who i really enjoy his he wrote a book called the wisdom at work and he defines wisdom as let me see if i get this right good judgment based on pattern recognition with the right alchemy of humility and confidence And so one of the things I think we're missing in the nonprofit sector is wisdom and institutional knowledge. And so when we're hiring young people at you know the lowest salaries possible and asking them to do two, three, four different jobs for a minimum wage, of course we're going to see burnout. And of course we're going to have people working unhealthy hours. And so um, I think it goes back to the question of resourcing properly. The other piece is, and I'll just speak for myself as an executive director, I said work-life balance was important, and I did something else, right? So I think a lot of people don't realize the importance of um, practicing what you preach, and I think I certainly underestimated the extent to which people were watching me uh, as opposed to listening to what I said. so. You know, what I said was like, No, 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 of course. Work life balance. You guys should definitely leave at a normal hour. No, no, no. You guys don't check email over the weekend or at night. Like that's that's not healthy. You should you know, like be like self care is important. Of course, I was sending emails at eleven o'clock at night and I was sending emails all weekend long and so because I was not practicing what I preached, of course, there was a mixed message there my My young staff was like, "Well, she's saying that I shouldn't send emails, but she's doing it, so I guess that means I have to do it um so I think part of it too, is as a leader, really walk in the walk, so to speak, and not just talking in the talk um and then you know a big piece for me to be honest was i uh I was a founder, and so I was used to doing everything myself. And so as I started to mature the organization and was able to afford folks who uh, were experts in the field and who were, you know, I like to say responsible grownups, it took me a little while to shift my own perspective about what I was responsible for. And and so a lot of founders actually fall victim to this, which is that they – Victim to this model of being the genius with a hundred helpers, as opposed to pushing responsibility down to the people that you've hired and trusting their expertise and confidence. Um, My entire career, I heard like, oh, well, you should delegate. So at the beginning, I was like, there's literally nobody to delegate to. It's like me and two other people. And then later on in my career. Delegation was hard because I had been so used to doing things my way in a certain way, and I thought I had standards and nobody understood my standards. But the other issue was that I didn't have enough mentorship to show me how to delegate effectively because I think delegation in a lot of ways translates to abdication of responsibility in people's heads, but actually there's a way to delegate such that you are still – keeping informed of the outcomes but that you yourself are not doing the work and i I don't know if it was a knowledge gap for me or an emotional maturity gap for me but I you know I think I really struggled with delegating uh, sort of in the early to mid part of my career
0: do you feel like now um, if you were to go back into an executive director role uh, you have learned enough to know where you can balance that work life um, you know continuum and would you be able to lead better with your team now that you've kind of had time to reflect back? What would you say now that you've had a few more years under your belt?
1: Yeah. I mean, Rob, I would say, uh, I would say a few more years under my belt and I think emotional maturity definitely plays into it. But I also think the ability to step back and reflect has been really helpful. And so I, <laughs> I've been out of the seat for about two years now and, um, I I don't know, I I feel like it took a year for me to to get over the PTSD. Like I I was like detoxing from being an executive director. But I also think the job is really hard and it's really demanding and it's lonely because nobody in the whole organization really understands the pressures that you are under as the head of the organization. And so I'll speak for myself again. I mean, I really got into this mindset of just like, getting to like the next day the next week the next month as opposed to really taking a step back and thinking more holistically simply because like I was just grinding. And so I'm a big proponent of executive directors um being able to take a sabbatical. I mean, I feel like had I had the ability to take say a 3-month sabbatical in the middle of my executive director career, I may still be an executive director today because you know, I was so busy giving everything I had to the organization, to the kids, to my staff, to my funders, to my board, it left very little in the tank for me and so, with the benefit of two years out of the seat, um having reflected, having refilled my own tank, so to speak, um, and being able to really learn from my mistakes, I absolutely think that I would be a better executive director today than I was three years ago.
0: I also appreciate your honesty about, you know, having PTSD, if you will, you know, based on your executive director experience, I've bumped into a lot of people. And I, I think about my own experience of um, experiencing burnout, it's it is really difficult. And I think unless you've been in that role, it's hard to understand what how many pressures there really are, uh, because they're often hidden. And you said it's a very lonely role as well. And and this bit leads into my next question. Uh, you've already kind of spoken to this, maybe you can expand on your answer. But with all the work you've done with nonprofits and your engagement of guests on your own nonprofit show. Uh, what are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector right now? And I would just say even over the next three years, in your opinion, what are those biggest challenges we're going to be facing together in the nonprofit sector?
1: Yeah. Um, so I I kind of think about uh, two major things come up. I mean, fundraising, I think is always a challenge. I, I think in part it's because uh, people generally have not ever been trained how to fundraise, and so they're kind of figuring it out as they go. And so there is – first of all, I think as a sector, we start from a scarcity mentality of, like, there's not enough money and I'm going to freak out and, like, try to grab as much as I can. Um, and the other piece is that we're not working with trained fundraisers who understand how to make an ask. And the third thing is that um, that we're not – uh Deploying and unleashing the capital necessary to get the work done. So historically, nonprofits will underestimate the cost of what it of what it takes them to deliver a service. And so of course, they're always in the starvation cycle. And then I think added to that is, uh, even more complex when you talk about fundraisers of color. Like, I don't think the fundraising field is as diverse as, uh, I, I would certainly like it to be, but I think in general, if you look at all of the different departments, fundraising tends to be the least diverse. Um I think that there are lots of issues around, you know, power, race, equity, and access that we have not even started to really, uh, to really talk about. Publicly in the nonprofit sector and in the philanthropic world, and I think it's a conversation that's starting, but I think it has a long way to go. Um, so I think fundraising will continue to be uh, continue to be a big challenge for folks. I think talent is always a huge challenge for folks. So talent, both on the side of hiring and finding good staff members, but I also think on the other side, which is I, I think we're about to go over a pretty sizable leadership cliff where you have a lot of baby boomers who are retiring who have been heads of organizations. And we haven't really stated the pipeline of talent for people to step into roles as seasoned leaders. Um, I think that's obviously a huge challenge. Um, And then I think the third piece that sort of goes along with that is that we are not sustaining people in the field. And so even with the leaders who are seasoned and are experienced, they're not sticking around. And so, um I think the sector really needs to have, uh, a bit of a, a come to Jesus moment around how we can change the sector so that we retain talent, so that we can continue delivering the necessary services to people who need it or the, you know, or the environment or the dogs or, you know, whatever big thing we're trying to do in the world. Um, and then I guess the fourth thing, as I'm thinking out loud, is fragmentation of the field. So I can't even tell you the number of times I speak to young people who everyone has an idea about a new nonprofit that they want to start. And I mean, like on the one hand, I, I certainly applaud the passion of wanting to do something positive. And on the other hand, I just don't think that the that the economics make a ton of sense. Like how many nonprofits do we need that are barely scratching out a million dollars and like trying to make payroll. So there's a lot of inefficiencies in the field that I think um, are not sustainable over time. I do think when, not if, but when we see an economic recession, we'll see a lot of uh, shakedown of smaller nonprofits that probably um, were not very sustainable to begin with. And so I'm wondering if there's a world where we can Capture the knowledge and the learning about the kinds of constituencies that we think that should be served, and marry that with kind of smarter uh, economies of scale around um, knowledge, talent, and fundraising.
0: My guest today has been Ria Wong. Ria is an experienced executive director with a demonstrated history of working in the education management industry and is the host of the Nonprofit Lowdown podcast. Well, Ria, thank you so much for sharing that. I encourage my listeners to check out our own nonprofit show called the Nonprofit Lowdown. I was honored to be on her show recently. And Ria, so how can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um I everything is on my website, Rhea rheawon dot com, R H E A W O N G dot com. I'm happy to chat with folks and I think you know it's funny as I think about it, um, in all of my different clients, Rob, it's not so much that I feel like I bring you know, some genius expertise to the table, as much as I just bring um the ability to understand where someone's coming from, because again, like you don't know what you don't know. And you kind of don't know what it's like until you're truly in the seat. And so for a lot of my clients, I just listen to the challenges that they're facing and in there, and I hold space. And I think that's really important to do. So whether you're a funder or a board member or a volunteer or a staff member, like don't forget that the ED needs some time and space and love as well.
0: Uh, Well said. Well, again, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for what you're doing to continue to bolster and serve the nonprofit sector.